Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And Amy is away for work. Hi, Amy. Hi, we miss you. Um, but Erica was kind enough to feed me. So, <laughs> well, I knew you came from like came from Toronto, mm-hmm. and you know, I I appreciate I appreciate the wherewithal you still had to mosey on over here so we can record an episode. Mm-hmm. So why not feed you? Thank you. I appreciate that. And I went food shopping. So, <laughs> so uh, I had food to feed you. And it was very good. Awesome. Yep. Farm boy. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, it's the now the point in winter where uh, it, Ottawa is entirely inaccessible for literally everyone because the snow is melting, um, whether due to temperature or rain and uh, all the sidewalks and streets are flooded i the entire street outside my apartment building is like a four inch deep puddle and it was a nightmare and underneath it's ice and the city hasn't salted it or anything and just really doesn't give a flying fuck and i just thought about you know having a walker or being an elderly person or a stroller and just having to like navigate that and just ugh. Well, when I was um, at home in Calgary for um, for Christmas, there was a man who had fallen on the ice, hit his head, and he died. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, that's a thing, yeah. people, and it's a very, very serious thing. And, you know, I, I this is why I fully, fully support litigation. Mm. Because to me... That is the responsibility of the city. And, you know, you got to speak to people in language they understand. And mm-hmm. apparently the city understands so they have to pay out somebody because they didn't salt the sidewalk and killed <laughs> them. I'm just saying. Wow. Uh, how was your weekend? It was, oh, it was just now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. But maybe a better question is, how is your first day back at work? Okay. So I'm in administrative hell. So I have like onboarding needs to be a thing that needs to be prioritized Mm. onboarding. When somebody new comes into the organization to get them set up, I feel like there should be a dedicated like advisor to help set you up when you you're onboarding so that you have all your documents in place. You have all of your IT in place. And also because we just work with a lot more devices now. Mm -hmm. So the ability to set up the IT infrastructure is so, so important. I'm getting this piecemeal thing going on and it's really, really frustrating. I still don't have a security pass, by the way. Wow. Yeah. And so I have to like, it's just so frustrating. But on the other side of it, I'm going to give the positive spin Mm-hmm. Um, it's not spin. It's actually real. I this group is different from any other group I've ever worked in in government. Oh. And um, I f- what I find is a lot of collaboration 
like true collaboration where people actually help each other. Mm-hmm. They're not hoarding information, Ugh, which happens a lot in government. They they are super like they will take the time to do something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's not all about them. They eat lunch together in like groups. Like when's the last time you saw a group like a group of more than three people who work together eat sit down and eat lunch together? And that like told me a lot about just the organized like that part of the organization. Mm-hmm. And I was just I'm just pleasantly surprised by that and just and it just goes to show how I don't want to say I became jaded. I would say that um, the places where I've worked haven't done a good job at providing that kind of environment. And it usually comes from management and how management views workers mm-hmm. and how management views its employees. So if you're always surveilling your employees, you're not going to get that kind of of environment, for example. Well, and also um, encouraging them to take breaks yeah too, because like the number of times like i am chronically eating at my desk mm-hmm. and that's just a choice that i make usually because it's like my time in the day where i can catch up on news or read things whatever tweet sure <laughs> i mean the time of day doesn't stop me from tweeting. I, know. I know um listen I'm the, the people have, the people have to know when i have an opinion i Yo, (laughs) I work in, I feel, I work in like a digital space and therefore I feel like Twitter is my right. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I, um, but yeah, like I am chronically interrupted Mm -hmm. by people who are like, oh, well, can you do this thing, this thing just because like I'm sitting at my desk and then they see that I'm eating and they're like, oh, well, uh. You can do it later as if I'm inconveniencing them for you. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I'm technically allowed to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think working in a place where people encourage you to take time and that time is like should go unencumbered. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm just as much as like the, the administrative stuff is frustrating me. I I am thankful that that is like that I'm having a completely different experience in government. And I feel as though the people around me can teach me something, Mm. which is something that's, I haven't experienced in government for a while. Sure. Um, But also that to say, I do think that if, you know, you have obligations and priorities you need to take care of, you should just, take care take care of them and sorry if that means like not getting a lunch then yeah not getting a lunch but then also maybe negotiate that and be an adult and talk to your manager or supervisor or yeah or take that time and leave half an hour early or something like that yeah yeah i think the flexibility what i find in um most of government i have spent most of my working life there so that's why i'm speaking about it like that um i find that a lot of managers don't trust their staff. Absolutely. So they don't trust, even though they hired you, they don't trust you. They don't trust your ability to present your deliverables. 
They don't trust you to work in your own way. They don't, they just don't trust you for anything. They don't even trust you with information. And you're just like, and so what ends up happening is you get treated like a child. Yes. And I think a big symptom of that is that we hire people based on a bizarre set of competencies and experiences rather than leader, actual leadership competencies, because how many leaders, true leaders, um, do you find in government who, huh. who actually embody leaders and create spaces for their employees and their teams to succeed? I'm going to go with very few <coughs> and like not make the success of the team about them and whether or not they've had input on a particular thing. I'd be surprised if we were 10%. Absolutely, I agree with that. I would be surprised. Yeah. Because most of them are for themselves. Most of them just want their bonus. Most of them just mm-hmm. want to make it to the next level and mm-hmm. they don't care who they crap all over to get it. And um and it's everyone for themselves. Yeah. And that does yeah, so leadership is not about making sure that you have your hands in everything no. and that you have your voice heard as someone who's in a leadership position, leadership is creating a space for people to succeed and do their best work and grow and evolve as employees and as people and develop skills. And that doesn't happen. And because they're not real leaders, because they're not real leaders, but also like it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of where it's just like an endless cycle because, okay, well they're out for themselves and they want their bonuses. So they're going to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. And those are the people who are rewarded mm-hmm. because they get good results and their bad behavior is rewarded and that just perpetuates. And then the next person who becomes a manager or the director or whatever level of um, supervisor is like, well, okay, like that happened to me and th- therefore that's the only way to succeed. But look at that. Like they get results in the short term, but the medium and long term, there's a lot of churn, a lot of turnover mm-hmm. That's one way to know if a place is good or not. Like, do you don't want particular lifers either necessarily, but you don't want the churn. Like there's there's a happy space in between. Yeah. And to me, I I would say that leadership is an act of selflessness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no way, but people are just interested in power. They're not yeah. interested in leadership. No, they're just interested in one part of the equation, and that is how do I get more for more power for myself? Yeah. Instead of power comes with responsibility. Yes. Yeah. I know. Spider Man. Okay. I'm just saying it's true. It's true. Um, but a good book about leadership that I like is a book by Simon Sinek. And it's oh called, yeah, 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 dude! It's called Leaders Eat Last. Yes, and he, I saw him give a talk about it before the book came out. Wait and a minute, you saw him? Yeah. No. Yeah. <gasps> I'm lovely. A, okay, the power of why? Yeah, he is okay. Y'all go and look up Simon Sinek, and S I N E K, and like just absorb what he says. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry, go on. Yeah, and he just gives an example of how leaders push forward their employees to create the conditions for success. And right. then they they eat the, in theory, the things that are left over. Exactly. They take the shit, they take the heat for yeah. the employees yeah. so that they can give them opportunity. 
Yeah. And I feel like um, in first glance, um, that place where I am now has the, let's just say I'm looking forward to that being shown because mm. I think I've seen pieces of that. And, uh, you know, I, not from everybody in the, in the chain, let's say, but definitely from, from people who I would be responsible to. Right. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited too. I'm super excited. Well, on that note, uh, let's get into it. So this week in feminism, uh, we're going to talk about, well, probably the thing that everyone wanted to talk about last week, but I think we made the right decision to watch it play out this week. Um, so this last week in Ottawa, uh, the city was home to a protest from pipeline supporters in the form of a convoy of trucks who drove from Red Deer, Alberta. The United We Roll organizers wanted to drive home the message that Canada needs more pipelines and experts warn it's a dangerous movement that cannot be separated from xenophobia and hatred. So the protest arrived last Tuesday and lasted for two days and gained the support of conservative politicians, including Conservative Party of Canada leader Andrew Scheer, the People's Party of Canada leader Maxime Bernier, and well-noted sorry, well-known white nationalist Faith Goldie, formerly of the rebel, but she was too racist for them. <laughs> uh, just so we're clear. I'm sorry. That, <laughs> that last little part was not in my script. I just, <laughs> I'm talking facts. <laughs> Don't ad-lib. I didn't see coming. Okay. On the surface... The Yellow Vest Canada, who are actually the organizers of the United We Roll Convoy, claim that they support oil pipelines, the elimination of the carbon tax, uh, Bill C-69, which is the legislation to overhaul the laws that guide environmental assessments and energy project reviews in Canada, and Bill C-48, which is an act respecting the regulation of vessels that transport crude oil or persistent oil to or from ports or marine installations located along British Columbia's northern coast. Whew. Ah. However, they are also protesting against the UN Global Compact for Migration, a pact rooted in a shared understanding that better international cooperation is needed to handle migration in a way that's fair to nation states, but protects the human rights of migrants and refugees. Some of the objectives of this pact have to do with the streamlining of international migration protocols, offering clear information on immigration law and application processes to the public, guaranteeing legal identity and documentation to all migrants, improving certainty and predictability in screening processes, and the sharing of data to encourage evidence-based migration policies. Uh, Others cover the issue of human rights and call for the international community to combat trafficking and smuggling. (sighs) Well... That's a that's a lot of things that they are against. I guess maybe also for. <laughs> so, Erica, I something that like I've seen on Twitter a bit uh, and you know, I've been out of town the last couple of days so I haven't been deeping deep into the news, but kind of want to get your thoughts on like do the yellow vests or I guess united reroll the convoy and the protest. Do they have legitimate grievances that aren't being heard? 
Like, I don't want to get not like, let's not talk about the UN thing, but like the whole pipeline carbon tax and like being against these two pieces of legislation. Um, the carbon tax just came into effect in January. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how anybody are we soothsayers now? Do we know how the carbon <laughs> tax is going to play out? Yeah. We don't. Right. Um, in terms of, oh, you're going to get me in trouble here because <laughs> I feel like I am not, I will, I will be the first person to say I'm not a huge environmentalist. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoops, whoops, whoa, be me. However, I will never say I don't believe in climate change or any shit like that. And I do believe that it is one of the top five things that we need to be, we need to be, have policy around and actually act on. I do believe that. Um, well, maybe I am more environmentally thing than I thought. No, but I think that I think that you would definitely support environmental policy. Yeah. But like, there are just more pressing issues to you as a black woman. Right. 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 Now, some would say, "Well, how could you live if you're not going to be on the planet?" Okay, fine. Um, I get what you're saying, but that's just how my mind works. Sue me. Now. I'm not opposed to the carbon tax like other people are. I think what's happened is that we haven't had, I don't think we've had a good enough discussion as a nation about our environmental policies and what we want to see come out of them. Uh, We've just kind of buried into our camps and that's it. And so my thing is, let's see how this plays out. Now, as a communications person, now that I'm like fully employed as one, I feel like I'm like as a as a digital strategist. <laughs> <laughs> no, as as a communications person, I think I'm I'm not sure of the sense of putting in a tax <laughs> it during a re-election year. That's just my idea. Point being that. I think there, in terms of the environment and environmentalism, we haven't really taken that holistic approach to it that I think we should. Because there are so many pieces that are wrapped up into in environmental policy, and we really, really do need to take an intersectional approach to it. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, in as you wrote in your op-ed around the... Um, in Ottawa citizen around the tornado. Yeah. Um, you said very rightly that natural disasters, especially the ones that we'll see more and more caused by climate change, mm-hmm. have a more adverse effect on women. And that even abuse of women rises around that time. Yeah. I mean, these are real issues and we will be talking about them at on a panel this week, actually. <laughs> so um, we will be on a GBA plus panel, which is basically intersectionality and uh, talking about that topic. That's my other side. We're not going to try to get you to go to it because it's a very expensive conference and we don't support that, but uh, we want to put out to get, get ourselves out there. Yes, exactly. So, and I'm sure we'll talk about that too. Uh, <laughs> but um, as we, uh, so, so that's the environmental piece. In terms of pipelines, um, 
Okay, here, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think, so I think that, like, the reality is we live in a world in which people are conservative or they're more progressive or liberal, however you want to label the, the left and the right. And, like, one side doesn't necessarily believe in pipelines or that because they're more environmentally conscious. Mm-hmm. And the other side is are pretty staunch supporters because for many of them, that's... That's well, Alberta's economy. That's their economy. And that's their that's how they make they make their living. And that's so right. I think that's a legitimate grievance. You can be in favor of pipelines. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's, and and somebody is I know somebody's gonna tweet me like No no no. They can no, people but, can absolutely hold that view. That's I'm right. not telling them they have a wrong like that they are wrong for believing that. Right. Because I believe the opposite. Well, here's the thing. I I see it as this. I think that we have a part of this country that derives this economy from oil. Mm-hmm. Oil is not a clean business. We know this. But I want to I want to point out something that that is lost in translation that's just missed. One of the reasons that Canada did not really suffer as much from the global recession was because of Alberta oil. It was because oil prices were high in 2008, 2009, 2010, uh, and and uh, Canada could afford to, you know, to supplement financially supplement Ontario, which went into a have not province status mm-hmm. in terms of equalization. So let, I just want people to remember when they're talking about oil and environmentalism and that basically Alberta saved us from a huge recession. Don't at me on this. I will not be changing my mind on this. Number two. Okay. So that's the thing. Number two, the Trudeau government has done, or actually I'm at three, the Trudeau government has done a piss poor job at communicating the dichotomy of having a robust environmental policy and yeah supporting the the building of pipelines Mm -hmm. and the reason is this we know that we need to move towards a green economy i'm using green to say environmentally conscious sustainable economy okay Mm -hmm. i get it the technology is out there i get it yes i'm all for that in the meantime Whilst we build the infrastructure for that economy, because we don't have an infrastructure for that economy, but whilst we built that, um, we could totally say, hey, yeah, let's build a pipeline, yes, to get your oil out to market, because without it, there's really not much you can do in terms of selling it. I get that too. I also understand that selling it to the United States is not really a profitable option because the United States has, <clears throat> during Obama's time, by the way, um, has really um, in, increased its oil production, its energy production. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't just want to say oil in the traditional way because they have shale gas too. Um, and so, you know, your next best bet is... Asia right so 
And I think that from the perspective of Alberta, they're like, wait a minute, why are you importing oil from Saudi Arabia? You think our oil is that bad, yet you're in your you are importing oil from this regime that is brutal. Mm-hmm. And you say that you're a feminist government and you say you care about human rights. Why? So I really do think that we're a country that's two faced on this. Yeah. And so I understand those. I understand that. I was just in Calgary. Um, it is economic. It's not the same as it was when I w- the last time I lived there, which was in I've been in in Ottawa like 10 years. So. In 2008, 2009, 2010, it w- uh, 20, I would say from about 2005 to 2010, 12, 12 mm-hmm. was like the heyday. And so, um, and so I see the difference. I see how it's affecting people. I see it. Um, on the other hand, Alberta shot itself in the foot again like you know that oil's a commodity you know that it, it's based on world prices if those prices dip as they have then you're fucked mm-hmm. you're just a little fucked that's how it works how much how many times have we talked about diversifying the alberta economy yep and nobody gave a shit to do it they paid lip service but they didn't do it how many times has there been talk about, I mean, oil refineries, I'm not sure of the capital investment needed and you kind of still have to be close to a transportation mechanism, which is why you see many oil refineries on the coasts of gulfs and so on and so forth. I get that. But to me, taking something out of the ground and selling it is doesn't add much value with which you can charge. Mm-hmm. So my thing is, yeah, you got really good at bring, taking it out of the ground, but what would, did you do with it after? Nothing. Um, so I have a problem with just the economic development aspect yep. um, in terms of Alberta. And Trudeau is not the reason that your oil is not bringing in as much money as it did. No, that's just the global market. Like. Yeah, there's a global... Nobody's talked about the global market. Trudeau, no. Trudeau. I'm like, I'm no fan of Trudeau, but I'm not going to hang this one on him. The other thing, too, is we have to ask ourselves, like, there was just an oil uh, uh, train derailment with oil tankers the other day. Are we sure that that way is the safer way of transporting oil? We don't know. That's the thing. But we haven't even talked about it. No. That's my problem. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So this is my whole thing. Yes. yes. So I'm of two minds. Like I see, I, I hate to both sidesism. No, but, but like I think, but no, it's not being both sidesism. I think it's, you can see that both sides have an argument. Yeah. And yeah. you're not trying to like middle muddle through into some meaningless middle ground. No, no. But I think that they have like a legit grievance because that is a belief that people hold. And like you said, like their livelihood depends on it. Yeah. Um, the bill C 69 and bill 40 C 48, I'd never heard about until last week. And these are just like big things that they're very much lobbying against because I guess, again, it impacts their livelihood, but also 
they're very significant um, environmental issues. Um, and I think what bothers me most is about being pro pipeline is that they just don't care. Mm-hmm. There's just no care given for, you know, indigenous peoples, uh, making sure that it's done safely and cleanly. They just want to get rid of it so they can get their money and like have their jobs. Yeah. And I think that if you want to be pro pipeline, then you also have to be responsible, responsible about it because oil is going to ruin like things if there's a spill or uh another like train derailment or whatever like it can ruin an area and then further ruin the economy and the ecosystem and that those ramifications are they're huge yeah they're enormous and they and they usually affect marginalized communities Mm -hmm. and when i say marginalized communities i'm including rural communities that do not have the access to services that we do in urban centers. Absolutely. And I, you know, and of course, indigenous people who have um, a right to the land upon which, well, we saw this with, um, with some of the protests um, in terms of uh, pipeline building and so on. But, you know, you we can't it just all of a sudden say jobs, 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 and then roll over everything. I feel like we have a generation of people who are like jobs, 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 and then that's it. That's the only thing that matters. That the fuck is not the only thing that matters. What matters is a quality of life mm-hmm. that matters. And until we start looking at these things as okay, what is the qual- what is the big picture? What are the consequences of not only the consequences of A, B, and C, but the fact that these things interrelate? And that's what we're not doing. And that's what drives me insane about this whole environmental pipeline sort of thing. And you can you can especially see it with our environment minister who doesn't who doesn't know how to message word shit because Listen, she wants to tweet about the Oscars right now. Is that what she's doing? Oh yeah, it's that. Oh my god. Okay. I mean, I I just <laughs> I just think what did she do? She retweeted something from Seamus O'Regan who is the Indigenous Services I don't know. Something something. Anyway, he was like, "Yay, we got, you know, clean water to like more First Nations." And I literally tweeted, "You don't deserve kudos for fixing something you fucked up in the first place. That's a basic human right. That is a basic human right. Get the fuck out of here with your, ooh, I'm going to pat myself on the back. For what? You've done nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that was another aside. Mm -hmm. Um, Back to these convoy people. Yeah, so let's, so I think we agree that, you know, they have, legitimate political grievances for their livelihood economic ones but then i think where they lose people and the, i think the part that overshadowed much of their protest was the fact that they are very racist and xenophobic and I oops th- <laughs> and i think that yes the media focused only on that aspect and i think that's an aspect that's very important to 
us on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I my my worry is that like their legitimate grievances are getting sidelined and it's just going to make them more angry and more xenophobic as we go on, as we saw kind of in 2016. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because that goes to my rant and receipt. So put in pin in that. Great. Uh, yes. Okay. So yeah. So they're very racist and xenophobic. Yeah. So yeah. And that's the thing is like, I feel like, I feel like the, the, uh, you know, the way it's been covered and here's the thing. The media started out with, I guess, um, nobody really knew. And then they're like, I I think what happened was that um, this movement grew. And then you had people coming in and doing like really, really messed up things like calling for the hanging of Trudeau, like openly Mm. discussing how to murder a sitting prime minister on Facebook. Even Facebook was like, this is too much for us. And you Mm. know, when Facebook goes in, I think it's because the RCMP probably contacted them. Mm -hmm. But, but when Facebook goes in and says, yeah, this is too radical for us, you know, you fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) because facebook does not give a shit about anything you know mark (laughs) mark zuckerberg was like yeah but they're different views whatever Uh, anyway um that was one thing uh and you just see a lot of the rhetoric of the far right seeping into this and i'm not sure if it seeped into it from the beginning or if far right nationalists or whatever you want to call them um well white supremacists just came in and say hey there's a movement we could co-opt i'm not sure Mm -hmm. which came first the chicken or the egg all i know is that that is what it is more than not because once you start talking about the un pack migration pack you've lost me You've literally lost me. And I I just and and once you start talking about quote unquote globalists, which basically means Jew, mm-hmm. you've lost me. Once you start repeating the rhetoric of Fox News and all of basically every Republican, then I'm done. And that's the thing is that as I just described i wasn't i wouldn't have been done yeah you know what i mean i would have been like you know what i see where you're coming from yeah you're yeah they're discrediting their like legitimate arguments by yeah. taking on this other mantle and making it a prime like oh not i don't i don't want to say front and center but like making it a big um tenant of what they're standing for do you want i just thought it was a good segue at this point. sure okay. go ahead. so um the yellow vest canada had to rebrand their convoy from Yellow Vest Convoy to United Reroll because of this overt racism and death threats. So, for example, we have a list. Mm. So let's start with Edmonton, my hometown. Yes. The Wolves of Odin is a splinter group of the soldiers of Odin. Now, you may know or you may not know, the soldiers of Odin are an anti-immigrant Finnish group uh, 
who do street patrols and um, they're vigilantes founded in 2015 by a Finnish white supremacist who once did time for assaulting a refugee. So they had um, a chapter in Edmonton that they themselves had to rebrand to Wolves of Odin because they were just too damn racist. God. Oops. In Sault Ste. Marie, the Yellow Vest organizer, Dave Selvers, called the immigration Ahmed Hussein an ugly nigger, responsible for flooding Canada with useless nigger Muslim terrorists. Yay! Jesus Christ. Yeah. By the way, Anti-Hate Canada has done, uh, and Yellow Vest Exposed, have done really, really good work in really sounding the alarm. And uh, shout out to them. So we talked about um, Trudeau and the Facebook page and the the piece de la resistance. As we've already mentioned. Is Faith Goldie spoke at the protest on Parliament Hill with, with none other than Andrew Scheer. Mm-hmm. Of, they weren't there on the stage at the same time. But the point is they were both speaking at this rally, and Maxime Bernier also spoke, and Pierre Polyev did a cameo too. So, for those who don't know, uh, Pierre Polyev is <clears throat> a member of parliament from the Ottawa area and uh, used to sit in cabinet. Yeah, he's basically yeah. Anyway, I I won't I won't. He's trash. Yeah. So um, so yeah. I mean. I think that is, after knowing all this, what is even more disturbing is a national party embracing this this group who came with Faith Goldie. Yeah. And you and I have spoken at shit, so we know that people just don't randomly get up and speak. You're invited mm-hmm. to speak, right? Yes. And usually the first thing you'll ask is, well, the first thing we ask is, are we getting paid? And the sec- That's actually the first question we That ask. is, and I feel no way. And the second question we usually ask is, oh, who else is going to be there? Yeah. So, so for anybody who wants to give Andrew Shear and, well, Maxime Bernier, those are his people. So I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to say this. Maxime Bernier was right at home. Yeah, so let's yeah. let's not pretend. Let's not pretend. He's also in like, I guess... Not even a real party yet. They don't get official party status. So whatever. He doesn't count. All, uh, but Andrew Shear, Bitch, what? Yo. Listen. I have two things to say about this. Okay, One, please do. if Andrew Shear is talking at a protest organized by the Yellow Vests, uh, Maxim Bernier, uh, one, left the party for no reason, apparently. <laughs> And two, it's going to win no more seats in in the House of Commons because, well, Andrew Scheer's just going to take all of the people who would go to Maxim Bernier and his racist, xenophobic party. So, d- so this is my, what is his fucking political calculation then? I don't think, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Because this could be a problem. I, I Like, obviously it's a problem for, for substantive reasons, but. Okay, and I, go on. And second, I do wonder how much of this stance that Andrew Shear has, I guess, decided to take is because a Maxime Bernier left and he was like, oh, well, there's a risk that we don't win a majority or even minority government 
2019 because uh, Maxime Bernier is going to take all of the fringe crazy people and we need them for the, our party. And so, well, we're going to take up their cause anyway. But here's my question. How then are you going to pivot to the center? I don't know. And the thing is, is that... Because eventually he's going to have to pivot on the center. Well, the thing is, Harper's racist rhetoric from the 2015 election is what ultimately lost him re-election. Oh, hashtag old stock Canadian? Yeah. 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 It really And the barbarian tip line? Yep. And there was something else, too. I, all Barbaric I kn- practices tip line. Oh, what? <laughs> We're not uh, we're not calling the uh, tip line on like <laughs> prehistoric humans. <laughs> we're not going to the museum I of feel, nature. I feel like they're prehistoric. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the barbarian tip line. Oh my god! <laughs> Listen, snitch if, on all your white supremacist neighbors. It is a. <laughs> A very bad look for Andrew Shear to be there. And I don't know how more moderate kind of blue Tories feel about him being there because here's the thing. Red Tories. Right. Which ones I, are the, con- well, I don't know. They're all red the Tory, same. whatever. They're purple. Anyway, um, that's all I know. Here's the thing is that as much as can- Canada likes its racism, nicely packaged, mm-hmm. soft, and palatable it does not like the overt acts of racism that you know that these people are espousing canada loves its racism polite and you know this ain't you know this ain't that type of canadian party like i really really question his calculation on this because i think it's off I think that if you have progressive groups that, you know, want to invest in some digital, you could put together a nice little clip of Andrew Scheer and what he says and what he how he's a supporter of Brexit, how because a narrative is beginning to Mm -hmm. uh, to evolve with Andrew Scheer. I mean, people are talking about a narrative with Trudeau. I mean, if you were paying attention, you saw that narrative two years ago. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why this should be any. I'm like this whole Trudeau thing. I'm like, well, what do you. And and the reason is, is because we talked about this two years ago. We talked about him being a faux feminist. Mm hmm. We talked about all that when everybody was still, you know, getting their panties wet for Trudeau. We were all like, I had people telling me, I had people messaging me. Why are you so hard on him? Mm. Okay. Hate to say I told you so. I don't. I told you fuckers. Okay. Listen to black women. Mm-hmm. Hashtag. Okay. So, um, my point being like, how do you then pivot to the center because the people you really want are those disaffected by Trudeau, right? If so, yeah. how are you going to move right and then all of a sudden swing back to the middle? Yep. I don't understand that political calculation. Let those fuckers go. Let the racists go i mean the maxime bernier people just let them go work on people who could flip 
who have legitimate who have legitimate economic grievances god why are why is the conservative party so hungry for a circle jerk with these fuckers i don't know i really don't know i i just don't i know i got i know the imagery i put forth there listen that's one of my favorite phrases so i'm here for it i feel like yes yes actually yes it is you Hmm. you yeah and it's true like i i I just i don't under like i'm not even talking from the perspective of a black woman who's just incensed i'm talking from a, a perspective of just somebody like what the fuck are you doing dude what are you doing like i mean for somebody right now to call him a racist i'll be like well yeah he's 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 a racist Mm -hmm. why he hangs out with racists he feels comfortable with racists and he is embracing white nationalism yep isn't that a racist listen i don't even i'm curious to find out what the people of color in the conservative party think about this like the michael chong i was just thinking about michael chong you Listen, see, you see, you're doing it again, well, Aaron. Because, but it's because we like Michael Chong. I do. Because he, he is normal. Reasonable. And he's smart. Yeah. I, that's what I mean. Reasonable. Yeah. And he's smart. And he's he's smart enough to understand um, how I, to be honest, in that leadership race, that party dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. They chose their old stock Canadian old fogies over the future of that party. And I really do think that Michael Chong is the future of that party. He should be the future of that party. He won't, he isn't, but he should, he should be. And that should, and I really do think that the election of Andrew Scheer was, is a watershed moment for the conservative party. And not embracing a more Michael, a more, I don't want to call it like progressive, but like the other thing too is that you have to be, reflect the times that you're in, not where you want the times to be. Exactly. Like issue, major issues in Canada right now are the environment, uh, indigenous issues, uh, housing crises, the economy, and however you want to view that, depending on where in the country you live. That's right. And I mean, I, immigration, I, sure. Yeah, immigration would be one, I would say. But that's kind of an overarching issue amongst, there's a threat amongst all of those other things. Mm-hmm. And I would say you hit the nail on the head in terms of top five. Yeah. And if it if it continues to be the top five... The Conservative Party has a poor record on four of those. Yep. Four out of five. So my thing would be like, wow, how are we going to get messaging around for for these people in the middle who are disaffected by Justin Trudeau? How are we going to do better on those on those four? And how are we going to lay that groundwork? Because for anybody, the thing is, they can't even get the personnel to do that anymore because mm. they've 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 pretty much stuck their they've they have put their flag in this place and that is where they've decided they're going to be and so i'm kind of pissed off because i'm like 
I I don't really want to I don't really want to reelect Trudeau. No, but I also don't want Andrew Shear. But Andrew Shear to me as a black woman now is a bigger threat. And that's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if you're a a, a Canadian of color, However you want to define Canadian, I'm not defining it in an immigration type way. Um, however you want to define that, that's a question that I think Canadians of color especially have to ask themselves. Yeah. I think Which that, is the bigger threat? And I think that as we go on through this election year, we'll continue those discussions because <clears throat> in 2015, we saw some people being more strategic in their voting yeah, and being like, okay, well, uh, I may be an NDP supporter, but I don't want uh, Stephen Harper and the conservatives to get reelected. So I'm going to vote for the liberals. Right. Some people were throwing their vote to the liberals and you know that, excuse me, that could happen again because people will be like, oh fuck. Well, I definitely don't want, Andrew Shear to be in there and like Trudeau like hasn't been great to me but so I don't want to vote for him either but he's got the best chance of beating the liberals and it's not the NDP so I guess here so I was talking to my mom about this for some reason my dad doesn't really reveal his voting practices Mm. to me well my mom would so um she said, I hope we get a minority government. Oh, fuck. And I'm like, shit, if that's the, th- like, that's her thinking. But I'm sure she's not the only one thinking that. Like, what she's saying is, I don't yeah. want to give a majority to any of these fools. Yes, I don't disagree with that. The problem is that a minority government just means that we're probably going to have an election within, like, a year anyway. Yeah, so it's, it's, just, mean, it's just yeah. Very, it's just not yeah. like an econ- a good economic choice for the country because we just yes. spend so much money on yeah. elections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from a government perspective, yeah, it's just fucking, it's disruptive. It's disruptive yeah. and entirely frustrating. You do all this work and nothing comes of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so moving on, President Donald Trump appeals to men with fragile masculinity. Two researchers from researchers from New York University wrote in an analysis published in the Washington Post. They also said Republican candidates facing a Democrat drew more support in areas with higher levels of fragile masculinity in the 2018 House races. NYU psychology professor Eric Knowles and doctoral student Sarah DiMuccio surveyed 300 men on Amazon's crowdsourcing platform, Mechanical Turk, to discover whether they had or ha- would search for terms such as erectile dysfunction, how to get girls, penis enlargement, testosterone, and Viagra, among others. They then correlated the geographic dispersion of these search topics in 2016 with how such areas had voted in that year's election, finding that, quote, Support for Trump in the 2016 election was higher in, area, higher in areas that had more searches for topics such as erectile dysfunction. Moreover, this relationship persisted after accounting for demographic attributes in media markets such as education levels and racial composition, as well as searches for topics unrelated to fragile masculinity such as breast augmentation and menopause, end quote. 
So President Trump has touted his masculinity since declaring that he would run for office. After Marco Rubio insinuated that the president had a small penis in 2016. <clears throat> I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> Trump raised his hands and said, quote, he referred to my hands. If they're small, something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no problem. I guarantee it. End quote. Listen, Marco Rubio is many things, but this is disgusting. Marco Rubio is trash. Okay. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump frequently calls other political figures weak and has promoted his bravery, saying after the Parkland shooting that, quote, I really believe I'd run in there even if I didn't have a weapon, end quote. He espouses visions of toughness like cheering hard football hits and promoting shows of strength like his proposed military parade, which uh, he then decided not to have because it was too expensive. Anyway, um, Knowles and DiMuccio noted that their findings should be considered with caveats. They said that fragile masculinity didn't increase support for female candidates in 2018. The researchers wrote that, quote, the research reported here is correlational. We can't be entirely sure that fragile masculinity is causing people to vote in a certain way. However, given that experimental work has identified a causal connection between masculinity concerns and political beliefs, we think the correlations we've identified are important, end quote. So, Erica. Ah. <laughs> we talk a lot about uh, fragile masculinity. Actually, no, we very rarely use the, the phrase fragile masculinity on the podcast. We talk around the issue. We talk about toxic masculinity a lot. Mm-hmm. So... What would the difference between fragile masculinity and toxic masculinity be? Um, fragile masculine, fragile men basically are men who cannot take being challenged by a woman or being told no by a woman. So, um, and they get upset when their they feel their masculinity is threatened and for them anything can threaten their masculinity mansplainers a great example of fragile masculinity um there was something that went around uh twitter like there was (laughs) let me tell you about twitter (laughs) so um for example there was a man who you know put his nose where it didn't belong and decided that he was going to school women on Twitter on the vulva. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which he thought was the vagina. Yeah, so basically someone wrote something, but there was a tweet about a vagina or a vulva, and he wrote back, and his tweet was like, well, that's a vagina. No, it literally is not. Like, they're two different things. Which makes me wonder about his... You know, speaking of masculinity, about his prowess in other places. Ooh. But, you know, mm. <laughs> it does. Um, because if you don't know where the parts are, what can you do with them? Yes. I'm just saying. So anyway, now toxic masculinity is, I would say, the act of defending your maleness or your masculinity when your fragile ego has been hurt by something that 
you perceive to threaten your masculinity. So you would say it's more like an a- action. Yeah. Yes. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. So the fragility is what causes the toxicity. Yeah, I would say that I would characterize the toxicity part as being feel, a feeling of entitlement. Like I don't necessarily pe- think that the men with fragile masculinity feel entitled to the same degree that those who exert toxic masculinity do. Yeah. I think they're also interrelated though. Yes. That's the thing. So yeah, the the entitlement because the entitlement works in with the fragility too mm-hmm. because the entitlement sets up the 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 parameters. Yes. For which masculinity is seen, through which masculinity is seen, through the actions of, like, the parameters in which, which direct the behavior of masculinity, so to speak. And the fragility, I would, would be like the state of mind. And the toxicity would be the outcome, I would think. That's more like my the way I think of them. Mm-hmm. So working together, uh, Knowles and Demuccio um, defined fragile masculinity as um, men feeling pressure to look and behave in stereotypical masculine ways, mm-hmm. um, or would they have like the risk of losing their status as real men as mm-hmm. socio cultural expectations, right? Um, and these are kind of socialized at, at young ages. Um, and those when they when they feel that they're not living up to the standard of maleness, that's when they experience fragile masculinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, oh, interesting. When they feel like they've, yeah. So, like, if a woman is a primary breadwinner, for instance, yeah, they feel like their maleness and masculinity is being threatened, and what, how society defines what it means to be a man yeah and therefore they feel attacked or at risk yeah yeah and can turn toxic Mm -hmm. can turn toxic not necessarily will turn toxic sure yeah because yeah yeah, that could uh, you know result into very negative responses to your partner or your Mm -hmm. children or whatever your relationships right and result in violence and yeah 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 cool yeah, I feel I feel really smart now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I found this this whole thing very interesting. Uh, they did put together kind of a, a heat map um, of areas in which things were the search terms were more prominent. Um, so kind of a few areas in Texas, more kind of in the Rust Belt area. Uh. Uh, the South, of course, and then up through the Midwest. I think it's interesting that it occurs in the Rust Belt because that's the place where... Maybe not so much the Rust Belt, but definitely oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. in the Sun Belt. It's the Sun Belt. Is it the Sun Belt? Oh, yeah, yeah that is the Sun Belt. Um, the New Mexico's and stuff. Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Okay, yeah, in the South with more traditional gender roles. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That looks like Tennessee or some Kansas. Tennessee's over here. That's I think maybe Kansas Mm -hmm. or like Nebraska. So yeah, the Midwest too. So um, the Midwest is uh, where, let's say, you have 
a lot of you know job loss over mm-hmm. over the like economic hardship yeah but like and like i wonder how much of that is due to like the right. increase of women entering the job market okay yeah because there's just therefore a larger employment pool and so people are employers are going to hire the best from the entire pool instead of the best from a pool that is mostly made up of men don't employers think that men are the best though i'm just wondering like the the what i was just trying to say is that is that being not being able to be the breadwinner like you were saying would um would weigh on a man's sort of sense of masculinity mm-hmm. uh but i don't think it's like that correlated i don't think what i'm saying is really that correlated mm-hmm. just looking from the heat map it looks more like it's based on traditional gender roles yeah and how much of that has been challenged over time um less so in those southern states where those search terms come out real hard Mm -hmm. and you know whereas in the north and the coastal areas you get more progressive values it's all interrelated yeah i um i find i found the whole like search for erectile dysfunction interesting as like a point to like examine because the reality is that erectile dysfunction is something that happens to men of all ages and probably to people you know but across the continent across the country so i don't it's it's interesting to me that why that would be a particular point that they would hone in on Because I think um, the ability to bang a woman is, like, really, really important to men. (laughs) No, no, absolutely. But, like, is it because men who are in more progressive areas, like, are more willing to talk about it with their partner? Oh, I see what you're saying. Or, like, their doctor or can, like, see Hmm. ads for it and just, like, know or, like, I don't. No, that's a very good question. Or does it have to? Well, speaking of doctors, does it have to do with the availability of healthcare? Also interesting, because that would be an interesting mm-hmm. study. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't go to the doctor, <laughs> then you can't really do anything. Well, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Hmm. But then, like to like then ping that off the idea of like if you're looking for erectile dysfunction in like searching that in google then you would therefore be interested in searching about breast augmentation i guess seeing how much it would cost to get your partners presumably your wives breasts are augmented these the, are these the same people searching yeah. the same terms yeah they're seeing like how many people like the links uh, oh are they were they looking for like because <laughs> they're well because those people would very likely presume like given the study would be more interested in women who look a certain way so they can objectify them because they're probably so they can get watching, their dick working because maybe but also because they're probably watching a certain level of like pornography and like to view, get their dick working to v- and view like. <laughs> 
sex is a very specific thing that's for like a man's pleasure rather than the oh pleasure. for sure for sure yeah i yeah. i would say that yes 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 and can you imagine if that is the way you look at sex the if you can't get it up like how devastating that must be mm-hmm. but that's because you look at sex a certain way yeah i'm not saying it's not like erectile dysfunction isn't you know like a problem a problem that puts that you know that fairly puts you know you know adds a maybe a little depression sure absolutely sure i i totally yeah um however i i also think how how we view sex actually this is something i've been thinking about recently is like how like how my view of sex has changed over like i don't know 20 years or whatever um from teen till now and so like and how i see it as part of how i see it working in a relationship out of a relationship and stuff like that only to say that i think the way listen the way men view themselves traditionally in relationships outside of relationships within society is changing has changed over time um which is why it's so difficult for like gen xers and older to really properly function in this day and age Mm -hmm. all of that is being challenged right sure and so i don't think that it's a problem to challenge uh, views that that maybe don't fit a lot of people. It's okay. But for some reason, men have this, men are so used to being valued because they have a dick mm-hmm. that when that dick doesn't work, they're like, oh my gosh, my whole entire life is done. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, well, it's because you're only valued because you can stand up and piss. Like, Honestly, that's you come out of the birth canal with that kind of entitlement. Yeah. So and the entitlement can be as innocuous as just talking over somebody, a woman, or it could be, you know, it could be an entitlement that a bunch of incels have that they're entitled to the most beautiful woman in the world banging them. And so I I really do. Again, like, I think that we have to be real about, you know, redefining masculinity. It needs to be redefined. It really does. And because we don't have the kind of society that's going to support that bullshit anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that in terms of sex, like the, the only way to have like a really fulfilling sex life is just like be open with your partner and talk about sex and like concerns and anxieties because like if someone is anxious or stressed about their body and their performance then it's not going to be an enjoyable experience for them or you no and it's fine if you know someone has erectile dysfunction and they're open about it because then one you can work over it like work through it together and like have a partner to attack this problem with and reduce your own like their anxiety about it or your own anxiety over it but also like 
explore other things with your partner, which is, and it's going to like make your relationship better. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I definitely agree. We do need to reevaluate how we define uh, masculinity. And I don't know how we do that. I don't know either. But men have to be open to doing it. But I think it's like, I know men who are and they like who don't care about whether or not they like wear plaid and like cut wood and go mountain climbing or whatever they're Mm -hmm. happy to have a female partner who makes more than them and they're happy to help with chores and raising children and whatever and like view actual partnerships um but that's not I guess the norm Mm -mm. Um, as we, you know, as the study shows, there's very clearly a political divide. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think like, and I think that goes back to our previous topic where we're talking about the, you know, economic anxiety of the United Reroll convoy in Alberta Mm -hmm. and who typically in Canada has more conservative views. And I think part of their, their anti-immigration thing is one based in like racism but two based in what we saw in the 2016 election about like the fear the erroneous fear that like they're not going to be you know given the opportunities that they had before because there was only them yes whether or not that's from women or immigrants or right right um the the status of maleness has changed the standards are higher now and that shouldn't be a bad thing right so i mean so the like the roi on being a male especially a white male is now being challenged and that's and as we know fragile men can't take being challenged so you know they get angry and they fall apart and you know it's a pathetic thing to watch really like honestly but yeah like men are gonna have to and the thing is <laughs> we're not gonna go backwards like <laughs> i yeah. love how yeah they, yes know? i yes like that's a realization is that like these men <laughs> who like are against who are feel like they're being their masculinity is being threatened and their status in society is being threatened uh you can't the genie's out of the bottle. You can't, you guys can't yeah. go back in. Pandora's box is open. It's like people. Figuratively, literally. Yeah. Like, listen. It's like people who are like, well, I'm not sure about multiculturalism. Who gives a shit what you think? We're here, fucker. Mm. Like, what are you going to do? Send us back up the birth canal? Fuck you. Yeah. Like, like, are you going to, are, are we talking? So, okay. If you're not sure about multiculturalism or, or about women in the workplace or about, see, the thing is with the whole men thing is men can't really get rid of women. That's the whole thing. And like, or else there'll be no more men. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, but I, I love when people talk about like, well, you know, I don't know about this, like multiculturalism in Canada. And I'm just like, so what's the alternative genocide? Like, I, I'm not sure what, where you're going with that. We already tried internment camps. It didn't work. It didn't work. It just doesn't work. You know, it's the same with men. 
well, my masculinity is being threatened. Well, okay. Thanks for letting us know. Bye. Like, I don't know what to say to you. Listen. The, it's not my problem. There are not enough men for the jobs in the economy. Hello. So uh, what are you, you going to do? Just we're going to go into permanent recession? Like I know. A depression Yeah, because, because they don't want, they also don't want other men. Yeah. See, they don't want other men to come in either. So mm. where the hell does that leave you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> Stay tuned for Rant and Receipts. Oh, I'm fired up now. All right. So before we get into random receipts, Erica and I wanted to add an addendum to our last topic from this week in feminism about fragile masculinity. And uh, so the Oscars red carpet uh, just wrapped up and the Oscars just started. And uh, we wanted to take a moment to discuss the outfit being worn by Billy Porter. Um, and uh, actually, it's not an outfit. It is a tuxedo gown, velvet Siriano. And it is a fucking look. And he looks unreal. I love it. And the confidence that this man has walking down the red carpet, posing on the, against the step and repeat, or whatever the fuck he's posing against is the confidence I can't even there's no words for it he just knows that he looks fucking amazing and gives no fucks that everyone in I don't know middle America is gonna be talking shit about him and telling calling him a fag like like, like middle America is watching the Oscars I mean on. fair but like <laughs> that's what they're gonna be saying and I'm not here for it because he looks fucking unreal you guys, you guys gotta um, go on your little Instagram space there and check out this outfit. It is a gown that rivals all gowns. Um, this is not the first time he's done it. He showed up at the was it the Golden Globe? I think so. I want to say in that fantastic outfit. He looked part. Was it like if I remember, it might have been part matador. <laughs> if I remember. Mm. Let me say. Anyway, what he said about he he actually Vogue um, Vogue magazine, uh, I guess, um, interviewed him and about his outfit. Mm-hmm. And he said, quote, now I'm in a space where being on pose, I'm invited to red carpets and I have something to say through clothes. My goal is to be a walking piece of political art every time I show up to challenge expectations. What is masculinity? What does that mean? Ugh. So basically the uh, Golden Globes ensemble was a suit. It was beige. And like Erica said, it was in kind of Matador-ish inspired um, in that he was wearing a cape and the outside of the cape was the beige of his suit and the inside was this lovely pink color the color actually that you're seeing all over the red carpet tonight by the women mm-hmm. um so it's just a look and he's saying basically saying fuck you to gender stereotypes and gender norms and he's gonna wear whatever the fuck he wants and he's gonna look good doing it and he's gonna hold his head high as he fucking should and 
I get I get Ugh. this. Like I get Ugh. it. I hope Robin Gavan talks like does an article on this. By the way, Aaron and I were talking as Aaron goes into her rant and receipts. Aaron and I were talking earlier or, or texting earlier this week. And we're basically saying that there's like a triumvirate of like fashion writers, Robin Gavon, uh, Vanessa, F- uh, Vin- oh shoot, Vanessa Friedman, mm-hmm. and Catherine, Kathy Horn, yes, Kathy Horn, yeah. who's in the cut every now and then. Yeah, she's, I think, freelance ish. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she comes mo- around mostly um, during fashion month. So if you want to learn about fashion, and when I say learn about fashion, I don't mean, oh, that looks pretty. I mean, actually learn about the analysis of fashion. Those are the three people to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so going into rant and receipts where we each bring a thing to rant about, I guess I'll go first sticking in the vein of fashion. Yay. Um. So we've been doing a lot of I know. I love it. I know. I love you know it. what? Amy is not here to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> um, love so, you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> last week, uh, the creative director of Chanel, Carl Lagerfeld, passed away at the age of 85. 85. And, uh, he was one of the last remaining living icons of the fashion industry. Uh, there are a few left, but honestly, you know, Valentino is not as iconic as Karl Lagerfeld. Um, and this was devastating for the fashion industry. You know, people on my Facebook and my Instagram on Twitter, whether you're a celebrity, whether you're a fashion lover, whether you just like, kind of know his name people were like oh well like this is a big deal but then it was just so like so emotional um a lot of the posts were just like oh like he did all these incredible things he created all these beautiful clothes yes but then of course as the internet is wont to do the vitriol and hate came out and the whataboutism and the thing is is that the people who were saying things like oh well he was a racist. He was a white supremacist. He was fat phobic. He was all of these things. They're not wrong. Nope. They're absolutely 100% not wrong. He was an asshole. He was an asshole. He liked the things he liked and he hated the things he didn't and looked at them, looked down on them and he was absolutely elitist. Um, and I think that if he liked you, he was very lovely to you. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people... Uh, for with whom he had a good relationship with, they don't have anything bad to say about him. But, you know, for, you know, peons like us, the common mm-hmm. folk, you know, we, we see all of the things that are problematic with him. And like we said, like those things are absolutely true, but that doesn't also mean that he wasn't an icon. And so many people, um, after I posted a few photos of him on my Instagram, we're like, well, fuck that guy. I'm glad he's dead. And Mm. one that's inappropriate to say, you can't necessarily, it's wrong to say you're glad someone's dead unless they're like a literal Nazi like Hitler. Yeah. Um, who did like, yeah. 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 Who actually like did genocide. Yeah. Um, genocide is the exception to that rule. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like that's just a shitty thing to say about people. And, you know, you can't deny the fact that he deeply, deeply impacted the fashion industry. And I just want to go through a few of those things. Um, Please so, do. Yeah. So he uh, passed away at 85. Um, he w- has been the creative director at Chanel since the 90s, but then he left and then he went back. Um, and he actually also created the logo we now associate with Fendi. And he created the logo for Fendi in a matter of like, I, I think I want to say seconds, but I think that's like hyperbolic. I think it's just been like, it was like a couple minutes. But the thing about Carl is that he, when he went to Chanel, he didn't change what made Chanel Chanel in the first place. And at the, when he became creative director initially in 1982, um, he, the, the line was faltering. It was like weak. It wasn't strong. It didn't, it was kind of on the on the downswing. Yeah, it's not like we know Chanel now. Yes. And that was, you know, where Coco Chanel had like she he came in after her. Mm-hmm. And he kept all of the elements that she made Chanel known for and modernized them. So all of the quote unquote Chanel jackets that we see, the tweed things, he would take them and twist them on his on their head. You know, so he took street style and social trends and the mood of the moment and put them into Chanel clothes. So he did sequined wetsuit evening jackets when body glove surfwear was all the rage. He put he put leggings uh, with Chanel jackets when women began dressing in gym clothes. Um, he put very thick chains as snow t- thick as snow tires um, when hip hop music became popular. And he put in quilted leather clogs as environmental issues surge surged and. I think that, you know, being able to take what a brand is very well known for and to modernize it and make it your own while also still being true to what the brand and the house is, is like the true testament of design and what it means for the namesake designer to leave a brand and give creative control over to someone else. Meanwhile, we've got, you know, designers like Hedy Slimane, who, <laughs> I would, I'm literally on that page. <sighs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like Hedy Slimane. Um, he is, he was the creator uh, for Yves Saint Laurent and actually changed the name from Yves Saint Laurent to just Saint Laurent, uh, changed the logo and everything, which was a big deal at the time. But uh, he is now the, uh, the creative and artist, artistic director of Celine. And didn't he? Did he have a spot at Dior? Or is he that did s- he? He did Dior Ohm. Oh, okay. Before okay. he went to YSL. Oh, okay. Or Saint Laurent. Okay. Yeah, I think that's what he was. I think I think he was trying to make Yves Saint Laurent his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, really put his stamp on yeah. it, and he, he just went a little too far, and yes. did not. And but he didn't back it up. Yeah, but then, so, you know, the things he did at uh, Saint Laurent... I mean, he had some great stuff. Sure, absolutely. But it would, like, he didn't... He didn't back up that stamp with a new vision, a new, a new like, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A vision that is 
cohesive. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And then now he's at Celine. And so Phoebe Philo was uh, the designer of Celine forever. We love Phoebe. And Celine for the longest time was very minimalist, kind of flowy, very Isamiyaki, but, but, but very, very, very minimalist, gorgeous, gorgeous lines. Yeah. Um, draping a fabric and it became a structure a strong feminist brand too yes yeah but now with Hedy Slimane there he's been there since uh, just over a year it just looks like oh he was the one with that awful oh yes it now just looks like Saint Laurent is now Celine and so it's very similar designs with a new label and he got rid of basically all of the things that Celine was known for and just put the Hedy Slimane um, mark on it instead of keeping the spirit of what the house was originally known for. So in for. other words, he was a manager, not a leader, mm-hmm. like we opened the show with? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, again, that's bringing it back to Karl Lagerfeld. That's what Karl Lagerfeld did exceptionally well. He maintained what the house was known for and you knew what you were going to get when you went to a show or when you, the lines came out, but you're like, Oh, like what's Carl going to do this season? And like I said, it bothered it. You know, people were right to say that he was a racist fat, um, fat phobic and all of these things, but oh, he you was an awful human being. Yes. But like a human, as but a human. both of those things can exist. Yeah. And for people who respect him as a designer and his influence on the fashion industry, don't necessarily support his stances on those things. And I think it's ignorant for people to say, well, he was only a racist. He was only fat phobic because he was a literal genius and one of the last remaining fashion icons. And it's unfortunate that we don't have his vision vision anymore. And Paris fashion week is going to be a fucking shit show this year because everyone's going to be a Chanel crying and I cannot wait to see this show. But again, intelligent people can hold two truths in their head at the same time isn't for pa- one thing. Isn't Parish Fashion Week coming up? Yeah, it's this week. Is it this week? Because it was last week was London, right? No, it was Milan. It was Milan last week. Okay, so right, because London's last. Okay. Um, I, uh, I tried to dislike chanel london second it's new york london milan paris oh oh i missed a week (laughs) okay whoops um oh paris is really gonna be interesting you're right i think there there are a few things here number one uh carl lagerfeld is the last of the mohicans so to speak in terms of those types of designers. I mean, one could who argue- is still actively designing because yeah. Valentino is still alive, but he's not the creative desi- director. director, right? Or Armani's the same way. Yeah, um, Valentino very orange in person and not tall. Really? Yeah, very orange. Yeah, they all go to the same. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh! Oh right, I love Valentino. Mm-hmm. I love Valentino. That was the show that everybody was crying at, right? Yeah. Okay, the Couture. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think Carl uh, Lagerfeld is, like I said, the last of a, a a really important cohort. 
the last of a pre um a pre-internet cohort Mm -hmm. and i think that's very important yeah because i mean chanel was still because carl lager lagerfeld had 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 you know solidified this brand and solidified it in a way where that balance he had reached long before his passing just long before Mm -hmm. and and he did the same at fendi too and um i think that the the rise of the internet and i like we probably said this before as a disruptor in fashion has turned fashion on its head at the same time we're seeing we're seeing a lot of and the rise of the influencer and the rise was like connected to the rise of the yeah if you like for me digital media started with fashion fashion and makeup i'm probably more heavier on the makeup side Mm -hmm. um but uh fashion and beauty are the two industries where the consumers of that really still are leading the industry rather than the other way around and they did so because they embraced digital media so well and that's where you first started seeing influencer marketing um in so far as uh you know finding influencers now to grow your brand to grow your business all of these things that came from fashion blogging is pretty much solidified in in digital marketing and the digital experience so there's that um what we've seen is that the industry itself has really lost its way in many many places and the passing of Karl Lagerfeld is really puts I feel it puts a bookend on that Mm. that that fashion that genius that stability um season after season after season is gone Mm -hmm. for a lot of brands yeah and so because uh, some creative directors only stay for a couple of years for a couple of years. And then they're like you were saying, Heidi or Heidi is is a good example of somebody who came in with so much promise, <laughs> so much promise. Like, is that's fine? Yeah. And and we're like, OK, it's OK. Um, but, you know, they haven't really sort of made the same sort of impact on fashion that um a Karl Lagerfeld did and I don't think that there's somebody there now I can't think of anybody who did the who could do the same thing I mean you could argue that uh what's his name Tom Ford Mm. did something similar for Gucci right but Tom Ford is also pre-internet yeah so um and what he did for menswear I think is more important than what he particularly did at Gucci even though he kind of did the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think his impact on menswear is unsurpassed. Um, But yeah, I don't, and you know, you may be asking why are we spending so much time on this? Why is this important? Because um, there are a couple of things. Number one is, can we 
separate the art from the artist? I think as we increasingly find out that our faves are problematic, we have to learn to. I think stan culture is is very problematic because it it blinds people to issues with their faves. And they'll be like, well, it doesn't matter that they are a Nazi and I'm going to support them regardless. Okay, fine. But like the reality is, is like how many people, you know, Harvey Weinstein did a lot of terrible fucking things and he's paying for it. Do people still watch movies that he produced? I'm well, going to go with yes. Yes. Um, Except oh. for American Beauty because I never got why that was a thing. Sure. <laughs> Uh, Kanye West. Kanye West is hella problematic right yep. now. Um, how many people have stopped listening to his music because of it? I don't listen to his new music because it's shit. But <laughs> sure, that's a different thing, though. Uh-huh. But I think that, like, yeah. I think that you know his albums he puts out going forward, the sales may falter a bit. Yeah. But like his previous catalog is still pretty solid, and that doesn't mean that we should stop listening to it. Agreed. R. Kelly abhorrent human only has really like two good songs maybe only one i'm fine not listening to it Mm -hmm. but like kanye west he didn't go around raping people Mm -hmm. he's just problematic and i'm i'm fine Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. still listening to his music so i think that one it becomes a personal choice but two stand culture is very bad well and you can't cut people out and off because they're problematic Mm -hmm. that's we we have to do the difficult thing and hold two truths in our head right and and so um and that's hard it's hard it's easy to to cut somebody off and say fuck off and not see them again or whatever it's hard to work things out it's hard Mm -hmm. to work through your own reasoning and whether or not it's okay and what you will accept and what you have to, that's some hard work I'm and not, pe- that people don't want to do that people don't want to do. And it's easier to say, Oh, well, so-and-so is problematic. So, um, bye. Look, there's, there are people I say bye to fine, whatever. Um, that's because I like to me, the value that I gain is not as great mm-hmm. than for somebody else. Somebody listening to this right now doesn't give a shit about fashion, doesn't give a shit about what, what you know, whatever. And they're probably like, how can you support this guy? Well, because we derive more value. We see, which means we see a lot of the good stuff he's brought in and the good stuff we value. Yeah, and, like, we actually can't support him with our dollars because we just can't afford it. Yeah. Um, So we can appreciate... So from that, because we can't do that, we have to appreciate from an artistic standpoint. Yeah, and we appreciate from afar. Yeah. While saying, like... Hella problematic. Hella problematic. And I think that's the real question, is that this, your rant and receipts brings up is... Can we separate the art from the artist? And at what point do we just not do that anymore? For me, R. Kelly is just too much for me. Um, And I just particularly really, really just dislike him. And, you know, that's my cutoff. 
I, I just can't. Yeah, and I think it, it depends on, like, the value that the art brings to your life. Yes. Yeah. Because That's why Woody Allen is still making movies. Yeah. You know? Um, and it, it just goes... So, it, and we're not saying that people shouldn't be punished either mm. for their wrongdoings. Yes, they should. That's part of accountability. That's part of that process. I'm finding it more problematic that we don't have accountability anymore. I think that's an issue. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I and in true Karl Lagerfeld way, he left all his millions to his cat. I was like, not. Chupet. I was not surprised. Absolutely. I was so, I said, I literally looked at that and said, uh, of course he did. Because that's Karl Lagerfeld. Well, that was my tweet. I was like, who's going to look after Chupet now? Well, now Chupet apparently can hire people. (laughs) So I'm my rant and receipts is uh, more to the first topic Mm. because I just can't get enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So here's another way Trudeau's fucking up. Uh, I got this from the Thai that who I, I it's a website I definitely creep every now and then. Um, because I think they do good work. So shout out to the Thai. Um, anyway, so basically Canada's right is growing and radicalizing. Jordan Peterson is a pop star in those circles. Um, there's a surge of support for far right groups Faith Goldie shares a stage with Andrew Shear. You know, it's all just normal. But that is the point. The point of far-right groups, the point of Faith Goldie running for mayor was not to be mayor, people. It was to normalize her in the media. Mm-hmm. And the media obliged. Because I feel like they don't know when they're being used. Anyway, But this is not my rant. My rant has more to do with Trudeau and how Trudeau's, you know, wink, nudge and smile. He, 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 while basically um, disregarding indigenous issues, economic inequality issues. I've yet I have not heard him speak that much on economic inequality issues. No. Um, Feminism. Uh, all of these things, um, for ex- broken promises, all of his broken promises. Basically, what this does is it creates um, a rift between us and our government. And it makes us more distrustful of the government. And that is prime pickings for radicalization. Mm. So part of the reason the radical right is growing is because Trudeau can't keep his word. He can't keep his word from the voting system, climate change, healthcare, trade, and not even like, actually, when has he kept his word on marijuana, which turned out poorly. And well, one could say that that's the province's fault. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, "Eh." fine. Fine, I will. I will kick that to the provinces because it's it's not like they didn't knew. No, we all knew. You know, it was a thing. 
you should have, you know, formed your consultations early. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, like basically what's what's happening is that there's a growing resentment towards the government. And when you have a growing resentment towards the government and this SNC-Lavalin scandal thing, people, I, I swear to God, nobody understands it. But people are like, I think something smells. <laughs> and once you get that, that is room for disinformation. And that is room for radicalization. So I feel like the liberals are creating, are partially responsible for creating the environment for far-right extremism to rise. And I'm tired of them Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, look at my hair, aren't I great? I'm tired of this. I want some fucking action. And it seems to me like all they're doing is they're spinning, 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 and nobody believes it anymore. Mm -hmm. So what are we left with? We just had a conversation where I was just like, well, I, 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 you know, I can't vote for Andrew Scheer, but I don't want to vote for Trudeau either. Yeah. And I don't even want to talk about the NDP because they're not even, they're an, as a non-entity. Sorry. As no, 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 go. No, no they are a non-entity, but as, um, I will quote from basketball wives, wow. like, yeah, like season two or something. Wait, had a basketball wives reference in a long time. Yeah. He's a, like basically the NDP are a non motherfucking factor. Okay. And you know what? Part of this is NDP's fault, actually, for being Absolutely. a non-motherfucking factor. Listen, if you disagree with us, at us, we'll tell you you're wrong. Yes. Or invite us on your show and we'll tell you to your face. Mm. So the, the resentment towards the liberals' callous attitude is palpable. Uh, a recent poll found that 35% of the respondents approved of Justin Trudeau compared to 63% in his first month in office. Thanks a lot, Justin. (laughs) Yeah, I think that um, the, the general sentiment is that the Trudeau government has been a very big disappointment, um, especially because it was all hopey, changey, sunny ways after the dark time of of Stephen Harper, and yet things are the same. But I feel like he's a perfect reflection of Canada. All talk, yeah, and no action. Yeah, I is yeah. it is it that he's a reflection of us, and we just don't like what we see? Because now I'm thinking that he's kind of a reflection of the country. Hmm. Interesting. But it's it's isn't it not a chicken and egg thing? Like mm-hmm. it, it is. Is is there no action because of his leadership, or is there no action which allowed him to become leader or prime minister? I guess. Oh, dun dun dun. I don't. Hmm. Well, I think Harper acted just not in ways that we wanted. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> although I don't think cutting is acting. 
either. You know? What do you mean? Like cutting things? No. It's not. That's not acting. Like refusal is not acting in the same way. Well, yeah. It's basically what we've said about Howard Schultz and how he is. He doesn't have a platform. He's not for anything. He's just against all of these other things. Right. And you can't be a leader for a political party or a a quote-unquote movement if you don't stand for something. And have a vision that you can articulate. And therefore lead people with. I was seriously in line for the uh, our municipal election in October. Yeah, in October. And right ahead of me were two dudes, you know, um, obviously, like, they were talking about how they voted for Trudeau and because of election reform and how they're not so hot on him anymore and are open to other, you know, other parties. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and that's when I knew. Like, I suspected, but that's when I, I was like, this government is fucking in trouble Mm -hmm. and now this this comes out and we i think we are all sort of wiping the veneer from our eyes because i really do think that most people have an outdated incorrect um sunny happy sunny ways view of the country Mm -hmm. and i think now we're getting like cold water on us especially with this snc thing saying people are saying oh well that's how the liberals act and i'm like "Mm, i feel like this is how the country behaves this is how business gets done in this country yeah i mean in any when's the last time we 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 um prosecuted white collar crime yeah yeah that wasn't just like joe from around the corner yeah exactly we don't no we don't we don't and we're more corrupt than we think. Absolutely. Like the va- like <laughs> Vancouver has been blowing my mind recently. Do you think the the 2015 election campaign like uh like Trudeau's about like sunny ways, hope and change and like Oh, not the Obama ho- remix? Sure. Um do you think that was supposed to be aspirational and they just didn't know how to implement it? I think partially yes. I don't think they really know what they're doing sometimes. In a lot of places, actually. I mean, um, like, what's a win? I mean, some would say the NAFTA 2.0 was a win. I I mean, it was a win in that we got a deal that we didn't hate, but, like, the fact that they had to get there in the first place. Yeah, I don't know if I would call that a win. That's in the... When, you're painted, when you're painted into a corner and you, like, figure a way to get out from a, with a fucking ladder or, like, ropes, like, you did it? I, exactly. Like, I, I guess. Sure. I mean, I don't... Anyway. Fine. I'll, I'll give that one to... Sure, I'll yeah. softball that to them. That's fine. Um, But... You know, I mean, pot is a mess. Um, No electoral reform. Climate change is fucked up. Climate change does not have the leadership it needs. Mm -mm. Um, China, well, that's a fucking nightmare. Um, So there's that. Uh, That kind of came up. Although I would say that 
that's that's very complex and I get that and that could happen to I I I won't hold the whole China thing against him because who you know whatever um but I'm struggling to find wins except maybe gender-based you know policy sure I'll give them that but you know I mean to be honest they've been a C minus yeah and like we so like you basically the whole purpose of this for your rent and receipts was that like Trudeau's like policies have led to the rise of the radical right yeah and I think and yeah his it is ineffectiveness because he's like speaking out of both sides of his mouth and he's trying to be progressive but also like oh you know everyone no one wants a pipeline that actually voted for me but I know that in order to re- win re-election pipelines are important so we're gonna just buy one then you better fucking build it. Then, okay. Um, but then do the proper consultations and take the right steps to get it done. Like, I don't agree with it, but like, we're here. I guess we're doing it. Yeah. Like, we're, no, this is my thing. Like, what's this, what's this knee jerk reaction policy? Like, I feel like some of these policies are just knee jerk reactions where I'm just like, what the fuck? Mm. And it, it like, the, it, it, sometimes it just makes no sense. It just makes no sense. Yeah. And so because people who used had previously voted for Stephen Harper voted for Trudeau and because they didn't like the way their economic um, options or whatever, they didn't like the way the country was going. Trudeau just didn't give them what they needed. And I know that it's hard because it's hard for us to say this because like we're more progressive than basically either of those two groups but and we we shit on like centerism so much Mm. but because there's a reason but there was no but the reality of politics in canada is that there is a center and we don't then okay i fine i'm fine okay there's a center it happens i don't think trudeau is progressive I don't know who thinks Trudeau is left is like, if you think Trudeau is left, then you must be on the wrong side of right. Okay. Then come talk to us. (laughs) Because he ain't. He's a centrist. And the liberals are a centrist party. And fine, they're a centrist party. Okay. But I don't understand the calculations. I I, like, like Andrew Scheer, I don't understand Trudeau's calculations. Like, everybody's just going to forget that he didn't do shit. I, I'm, I, I don't know what he's done at this point. Yeah. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And if, and so what, you're going to make a whole new set of promises for this new, for the, for your reelection and we're supposed to believe you. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not, imp- I'm, I'm perpetually unimpressed. And to be, and always, always, do we have a media that asks the right questions? I, I just don't know anymore. I don't know. I won't shit on the media. <laughs> this time. <laughs> oh, that does it for this week. Um, get social with us. You can find us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, Facebook slash Bad and Me Podcast, and 
Send us your emails. Send us love notes. Send us hate mail. We'll uh, laugh at it. Uh, if you have suggestions for things for us to talk about, misogynists of the week, you can email them to us. Badandbepod at gmail.com. Bye! Bye. 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 Bye.